Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 48. I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles or on your devices. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, let's pray once again before we go to God's with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Lord, for um, uh, this, your word. And Lord, we know that without your spirit, this word is close to us. So we ask now for your blessing um, and that we leave uh, not the same way we came because we've encountered the gospel uh, through your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, most of you are familiar with the movie The Sound of Music. Um, can't believe the movie's almost 60 years old now, but my mother tells about the time when she actually watched it in the movie theater in 1965, all right? And, um, and if you know anything about the story, you know that about, uh, you know, that in the movie you have, you know, Maria and the captain, and there is the scene of this, of, this, of, the, of this wedding that takes place, right? And my mother says that, you know, when everybody, saws, when everybody sees that scene, you know, everybody starts getting up, you know, she's in a movie theater, and everybody starts getting up out of their seats, right? And then, next scene, a bunch of Nazis are walking down the streets of Salzburg, right? So you're like, what's going on, right? What, what is this movie about, right? Is it about uh, this, this nun who comes into this family and uh, changes everything, or is it about the Nazis who are invading Austria? And the answer to the question is yes. Right? Because it's based on a true story uh, that, in some sense, has all of that in it. And I use that illustration as a, as a, as a starting point for us as we, as we look at this theme of Advent. Right? If, you're looking at the, if you're looking at the sermon title and you say the sermon title is called Anticipating Advent. Right? And this is our fourth Sunday of Advent. Right? Yeah, you know, we just saw the Ashleys read and light those candles for us. And you say, like, if it's Anticipating Advent, should not this sermon have preached like four weeks ago, right? Why are, we, what are we, why are we talking about it now? Well, I think part of it is because whenever we come to this idea of Advent, uh, the story of the Advent, it, we, we, we always find ourselves looking back. And it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing for us to look back, uh, for us to re-enter the story um, that we find in the pages of the gospel, uh, we tell and we retell the story to our children, our grandchildren, to one another, to, us, to, uh, to, to, the, to those around us about 
about this idea of the angel coming to Zechariah, foretelling the birth of John the Baptist, as actually uh, mentioned here, that the gospel writers actually reference this text in verses 3 to 5, talking about the voice crying out of the wilderness as, as John the Baptist himself. And then you have the story of the angel coming up to Mary, telling her that she would bear God's son, or the angel showing up to the shepherds. You, you know that. And in fact, next Saturday, when we gather for Christmas Eve, we'll be retelling that story again within, with, with, as, as a body. And that's a good thing. But the question I want to ask you is, is that as far as we go when we come to this idea of Advent? Is it simply a memorial? Is it something only that the people in the Old Testament anticipated? And I answer that question is no. Because for us who live on the other side, we are anticipating something. We are looking forward to an Advent. We are looking forward to Christ's coming back. We just sang about it. right? The one who was promised, who foretold, who came, will come again. And so the question then that's put before us to the church here in 2022, Christ Presbyterian Church, what does living, anticipating, what does living lives of expectation look like? And I think Isaiah 40 gives us a good picture of that. Because Isaiah 40 was, as you know, here, as it occurs here in chapter 40, is, is, is the story of, the, is, is given to a people who are in exile. If you flip back in your Bibles and look at chapter 39, you see this conversation that, 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 uh, that Isaiah is having with King Hezekiah. And the Babylonians have just come for a state visit. And, and as they're leaving, Isaiah prophesies that the same Babylonians who came, right, they're going to come again, not, not on fraternal terms, but they're going to come they're going to invade the city, destroy the temple, and take God's people, take, take the people of Judah into captivity in Babylon. And all of that is due to the people's idolatry. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah can be summed up with prepare for exile. Prepare for exile because of the, God's people's continual um, idolatry, blatant idolatry, that God says, fine, if you want to have the gods of the nations, I will bring the nations of these gods to your door. If you want to have the gods of the nations, fine. You can have them up close and personal in their land. And so what you have at this point here in the story is, and when you, when you turn the page and you get to chapter 40, you are, in one sense, Isaiah's second commission. If you know back in Isaiah chapter 6, he received his first commission, right? His first commission. And you have that story in there. If you flip over there and you can see when, when, when the voice comes from the throne room and says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And then here, again, here in chapter, in, in chapter 4, in verse 6, it says, cry out. Um, but Isaiah is a little bit less sure in the second, second time around, right? He says, what shall I cry out, right? Because the first round was not an easy message. It was a message of judgment. So when you get to this, po this point in the story, you should be asking, what is God's word to a people? And I want, to, I want us to look, at this to look at this passage under three cries, three things that God himself cries out, and he tells the prophet to cry out on his behalf. First, we're going to look at this idea of, you look at verses 1 and 2, right? It's this idea of a cry of comfort from the Lord. Verses 3 to 5, 
you'll see a cry of preparation for the Lord. And then verses 6 to 8 is a cry of confidence in the Lord. And then we'll close by looking at what is our response to these cries. So look at this passage with me, right? In verses 1 and 2, you have this word, comfort, comfort, says your God. Now park on that word, your God. You look, you'll see that in verse 1 and you'll see that in verse 9 as well. And that is a good word to a people who have been cut off and cast into exile. Because the question then is, you should be asking is, is this God still our God? And the answer to that question is yes. I like one commentator in summing up, in summing up this part of the passage, right? Up till now, in this passage, he says, you know, it's almost like God is coming to, to his people and saying, you are worse than you think you are, but I am better than you think I am. And that's what God comes to his people here and says that. And that's why you have this word here. This first word is the word comfort. Now, look, we use the word comfort in a lot of, I think, really weak and evil ways, right? I mean, most of you are probably thinking of like comfort food, like sitting with a tub of ice cream, binge watching something, or you think about comfort zones, uh, right? What, how, what, what's what we are level of personal space, right? That, that's way too weak of thinking about what comfort is, Okay. What if we replace the word comfort with the word console? Does that change the imagery that comes to your mind? Right? Perhaps it's someone who has received a cancer diagnosis, someone who has lost a loved one recently and is walking into the holiday season for the first time without that person, someone who's confided in you that they're being abused by their spouse. Or if you're like me, perhaps you're thinking about more on a global scene, thinking about the war in Ukraine and God's people going through the holiday season in the midst of all that mess. Right? I was in communication with a, with, 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 with a missionary who was in India, and they've just been kicked out out of, out of people that they've been ministering to and loving on for more than five years and kicked out and told never, and they could never return. And they're trying to figure out what to do. If, if that is what comes to your mind, and if that's where you are, then this word is for you. Right? This word is for us. It, it, it is that, and, it is, and that is the word that God says, and he comes to him and he says, console my people. That, that's the word that he gives to Isaiah to turn around and give to these people. But no, it's not just circumstances, right? If you're looking at, the, you're looking at that, you know that the people are not simply victims of circumstances. What's gone on with them in exile is we have rebelled against God. We have sinned. But then look what God offers. He says, look, their, their iniquities have been pardoned. Their warfare is the word hard labor has ended. And he has paid double. And the question you should be asking, wait a second, right? 70 years, the, the, the people of Judah went into exile for 70 years. Is 70 years in exile enough to pay for the people's idolatry and rebellion and sin? And the answer question is no. Now later on, when you get, into the, when you get more into, in, into the book of Isaiah, you, you know that the answer to the question is the suffering servant that's talked about in Isaiah 52 and 53. It's his righteous life. It is his payment on the cross. That is what satisfies what, what, what is being spoken of here. But that's the first thing. What, the, the first cry that comes from God is a cry of, con, of consolation. 
right? I, it reminds me of what we have in the Heidelberg Catechism. Question one. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but both body and soul in life and in death belong to my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our comfort, right? That's our comfort. But secondly, notice what he also says. It's another cry, and he says, it's a cry, prepare a way for the Lord. And now, now notice where it's taking place. It's taking place in the wilderness. Now, if you are a, a, a if you're someone at this time, in time frame, the people of Judah, as soon as you think about, as soon as you think wilderness, you, you've got to think about them wandering in the wilderness. The place of the wilderness is a place of wandering, of rootlessness, of homelessness, a place of sojourning, right? And, and if you know that, that's, that's, that's what you should think. But, but notice what it's talking about here. Now, it's saying that this same wilderness that's a highway, right? Hills are being laid down. Valleys are being filled up. Rough places are made smooth. That, that's, that's, the, that's what's happening. But think, about what, but think about the gospel story in the person of Jesus, right? And he says, look, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and every eye will see him. Is this reality, was this reality present in Christ's first advent? No, it was actually the opposite, wasn't it? Christ condescended to this earth. He became a wanderer. He became homeless, right? Foxes have holes but, but birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, right? It wasn't a highway. Jesus lived the life of a sojourner, of a wanderer. He lived wildernessness. And so... And, and think about it. Did every eye see his glory? Three people on the backside of a mountain where he was transfigured. Right? That, that's the reality of Christ's first coming. But, but what, the, what, what Isaiah is prophesying is what later, the, 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 what the apostle John, who saw this, right? He saw this. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. We, we just read that in, in today's reading. Right? Advent reading. Right? But later on in Revelation 1, verse 7, he, he says, we have seen his glory. He says, every eye will see him. Right? There will be a time when every eye will see him. Right? And every knee will bow. Right? And that's why in this passage, you actually have this. In, in, the first, in, in, in Christ's first advent, he condescends to this earth. He bends to this world. In his second advent, the whole world will bend to him, right? It, it bends in such a way that terrains are changing, right? Hills are coming down. Valleys are being filled up, right? It's not only the knees will bow, even the terrestrial earth bows. And that's the picture that you have in Christ's second advent. That's, that's what we are looking for. Right, look, look now, now I know like when most of us think about our Christian future, our Christian future always has to do with the fact that, you know, I'm really looking forward to the day that when I die, I go to be with Jesus. And that is a good thing. Right? That, is a, that, is a good, that is a good desire. Right? But, but, I cannot, but, but can I tell you that when you get to the end of the Bible, that's not what, that's not what the scriptures relish in as, as much as they, you know, like you. 
Um, right? it, 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 the whole story of the scripture is pointed to Christ. Right? Even, even those right, in Revelation 6, when John sees his vision, right, and he sees the martyrs, those, who have, those, those Christians who have died right, up in heaven, right? and, and what are they crying out? Man, I'm glad I'm here. No, that's not what they're saying. Right? They're crying out, how long? Right? They are anticipating. They are looking for something. Right? There's something about in, in, that even heaven is longing for something outside of itself. Right? It, it's, it's looking forward to something. And so for us, when we think about what does that look like, that's, that's what we want to have our eyes fixed on. We live between two horizons. Right, we live between the horizon of Christ's first coming, but now we are, but we're also looking forward to his second coming. And that is what we are looking for. The Christ who came will come again. Right? And he won't, he won't come as a baby. He, the picture of him will not be as a, as a wanderer or a, so, or a sojourner or a stranger. Right? He, he will come and every eye will see him and every knee will bow. And it will be a highway, and His glory will be revealed. And that's what we're looking forward to, and that's what we're anticipating. But thirdly, look, 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 but, but thirdly He also says, right, and he tell, this is why He tells the prophet Isaiah, He says, to cry out. And what does He cry out? Right? You have this cross stitch verse that you often hear the leaves fade and the flowers, right, the leaves fall and flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Right? The context, of course, is the question then, is asking, for, is asking for people who have gone into exile, who have been cut off, has the word of God failed? Right? Ha, has the word of God failed? Because what happens is, you're, you're, when, you get, when you get to this point in the story, you're, 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 the, the question has been is, have we fallen off so far? Right? Will God do what he said he will do? If you flip back in, in Isaiah chapter 1, you have this idea where, where God is chastising the people and calling them judgment. But then he says, come now, let us reason together. Right? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Though shall, there shall be crimson, they shall be as white as snow. He's, he's calling them to something. And the question then is, does that word still stand? Right? Because Isaiah's prophecy at the first part is, is pretty heavy. Right? And you can read, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to have a, a short version of that, you can flip over to Isaiah chapter 28, right? In fact, that's, that's this idea of the scoffer, because when they, because when they looked at, when, 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 when Isaiah came to them, prophesying the Babylonian exile, they would say, ah, right? God's not going to do that. That's not going to happen, right? It's the, it's the idea of the scoffer, right? And what you, when you get to the, and, and, and so the, the, the question then is, the word through Isaiah is, God is saying, Isaiah, to the, to the degree that I have brought about my judgment on my people, I will bring about their deliverance. Count on it. All right? John 10, 35, Jesus says, the word of God cannot be broken. And for us who are, you know, we living, of course, for us, you know, we, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are looking forward to the return of Christ. All right? We're looking to the return of Christ. And, and Christians are often been fall into, so, and, and we often like fall off on two sides, right? One, we, we have the example of the scoffer, right? It's like, man, it's 2,000 years, right? I mean, really? That, is, that, is that what we're looking for? 
right? It's, it's the, right? Everything has been the same, right? And everything will be the same, right? And, right, just another year, another Christmas, right? Uh, right? Or, or we fall off on the other side, right? We become the frantic people. When is Jesus coming back, right? Right? You start doing the calculations, right? You, got, you pull out your charts and your graphs and you're trying to figure out when is Jesus coming back, right? Because we, we're, we're really frantic about it. And God says, he will come, right? His word cannot be broken. It will stand. And so for us, we want to be neither. But yet, look what he says in verse 9 here. This is the response, Right? The response of God's people today, right? Look, 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 in verse 9, it's not a word to Isaiah, it's a word to Zion, right? That's code for God's people, Zion the city, Jerusalem, right? In other words, it's not only a word to God, to the prophet, it's a word to us, right? It's a word to us, and we are the ones who are called to be heralds of the gospel, the good news. And what is that? Behold your God. Right? In some sense, what we are told to do, how we are told to prepare, is to point people to Christ. Right? It's, it's what we are to do all the time. It, 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 in some sense, it, it's, it's extraordinarily ordinary. It's the same thing that we are to do every day. We, we tell people, we point people away from ourselves, and we say, Behold, behold your God, right? And, and that's what we, and that's what is, and, and, that, and that is the response here at the end of this passage. Let me, let me close here with, with, with this illustration, right? right I'm, 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 I'm from another country, like you're probably expecting a cross-cultural illustration, too, so here I come with my cross-cultural illustration, right? Here we go, all right? Okay, so if, if you, you know, when, when you think about the idea of hospitality, Hospitality in the east, of course, is a little bit different, right? Uh, from here, right? From here, the, you are, right? You, you, the, the weight is on the host, right? In other words, you become a guest when you are invited, right? You do the inviting, and therefore people show up at your house, right? And so you clean it up really nicely, and then they show up, and you say like, uh, "This is how we live uh, all the time," right? Um, and 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 that's how it and that's how it works here, and that's fine. Right, and that's fine. It's called, that's, a, that's a cultural, but in the east, the weight is on the not on the host, but on the guest. Right. In other words, you can think about it this, this way. Here, right, uh, you are you you are you are you are a guest uh, when you're invited. Uh, there, it's you are a guest. Therefore, I'm invited. Right. In other words, it's just it's it's the it's the other way around. And so and so when and, and so growing up, we always used to have people who used to say, "I'm just going to drop by." Right? People do the drop by, right? And, you know, so like, and people will just show up, right? Some people will show up at the front and that's like, oh, look, so and so is here, right? Or, or, or they might give you a call and they say, oh, I'm, I'm coming to your house. And you say, when? Oh, I'm five minutes away, right? So, um, and, and you say, look, how are you going to prepare for that, right? What does preparation look like for that, right? You can't, you can't gussy things up, right? So, in, in some sense, what, you, you're, what, what, you, what you're doing, is, is you're doing things that are quite ordinary. And, and, I, and, the, and the picture I have is, is, my, is my dad, my father, would always, every morning, right, he would, pick, he would take the broom, right, and, you know, everything's open, right, so there's a lot, it gets kind of dusty. So you, you sweep, you just kind of sweep every day just a little bit, right? And that's what he would do. He would, just, he would just sweep the house, right? 
not because, not because he knew somebody was coming. He would just sweep the house because that was what you ordinarily did. But in that act of ordinary, it was also an act of preparation because the house was ready, right, for people to drop by, to show up. But I always think that that's a great picture of what does it mean for Christian preparedness, right? What does it mean to live lives of anticipation? Because in some sense, what we are called to do is very ordinary. We point people to Christ. We are heralds of good news. And yet, in that very act of doing that, every act of that is an act of preparation, of anticipation. Anticipation of Christ's advent. So, church, I ask you, are we ready? Right? Are we anticipating Christ's advent? And my prayer is that in the very things that the, that the, that, that the prophet Isaiah talks about here, as we, as, as we look for and anticipate and know the consolation of Christ is available to us, right? The work of, the, the work of preparation is done, right? We are anticipating something that has already been completed. Christ has done that work, right? What we are longing for and looking for is that which has already been accomplished for us. That's why the, that's why, that's why the apostle Peter would say, we have God's promises made more sure, not less. We have it better than the people in the Old Testament did. And so with that, we can look forward with open eyes, looking for and longing for, and as, the, and, and as Peter says, hastening the coming of Christ. My prayer that that is what you and I would do today and every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. And we thank you again, Lord, that you are... Um, you are coming, um, and nothing is going to stop that. Nothing is going to change that. And as Christians, we can look with full-on anticipation, knowing that the king who came is the king who is coming. Our good shepherd, who laid down his life for his sheep, will be our shepherd king in the new heavens and the new earth. All of those realities will be made more sure and more real. And so, Father, we look and long for um, with eagerness to what you have done and what you will do. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.